Oh, well, dear community, um, it's nice to see you again this morning. I, I hope that the sound is still coming through okay. Yeah, all right, that's great. Hmm. I think many of us in recent times have felt very um well, let me re-say that. Many of us in recent times uh, have been looking out outwards upon the world quite a bit. Uh, our attention, our mental attention is turned outwards a lot. Uh, there are many very important stories unfolding in real time in our world around us. And due to the way our society has evolved and the advances we have with technologies and, and such, we are able to stay in touch with a vast array of these stories, these, these events, current events, right? These stories that are being uh, lived, told, right, in the moment. And we can stay tuned in and aware of them. Many of us have our eyes, uh, figuratively speaking, uh, but maybe literally also, uh, but have our attention turned towards very important threads in our collective storytelling as a society, as a world. Uh, and this is a wonderful thing that we can do this, but it's also a very dangerous thing. Um, because in every moment of our lives, we are uh, being fed, not just the edible foods that we eat with our mouth and taste with our tongue, or not just the, the things we drink, but we are being fed through our contact with the world around us and the sensory impressions of the world are creating experiences inside of us and and uh, shaping and forming what what is actually deep deep within us in every moment and so whatever we are in touch with in the world around us is becoming a part of who we are um, so you can see how this could be both wonderful, <laughs> but also quite, uh, quite destructive, depending on what it was that we expose ourselves to. Well, I wanted to talk a little bit um, about how uh, establishing mindfulness in ourselves actually doesn't turn us away from those important stories in the world around us. But in my experience, 
brings a deeper connection and deeper understanding. So rather than pouring my attention outwards to the world to discover and be in touch with and stay informed, to draw my attention inwards to self-awareness and to discover in that process how there is a unity of self-awareness and other awareness. How when I am most present within myself, that is when I am most present for and with you, when I can perceive you most clearly, when I have the opportunity to, opportunity to be a part of that storytelling in the world. So the small things that we might do over the course of our day, like listening to the sound of a bell, whether that's a bell like, like one of these, or whether that's the ping of a message coming into our phone, or whether it's a bell on a church steeple that still is ringing at certain moments, certain hours of the day, right? All sorts of um, sounds we might choose to listen to in order to remind us of, our, of ourselves, of life, to practice coming home to the present moment, to breathe, to release our busyness for a moment and just settle in. Listening to the sound of the bell, that bell reminding us, come home, come home. From our attention poured outwards, bring the attention in to the body, to the sensations and feelings, to the thoughts that are here, to see, be present with, and understand ourselves. Yeah. So there's little moments through the day where we might be doing that. We might be training ourselves. In the monastery, uh, I learned to train myself for the sound of the to the sound of the bell as a bell of mindfulness to always stop and always breathe and always let go of busyness and worries whenever I heard the sound of the bell. And it's still with me. I, I left the monastery 18 years ago, but I still practice that all the time. It's still a part of me. It's a habit energy that's been built in me to stop and listen. And, and it's, it's deeply nourishing because every time I do that, I get a chance to renew my understanding of myself, but also my understanding of those around me. The unity of self-awareness and other, aware, other awareness. Please remember that. Um, because when we are busy, we tend to forget ourselves and get focused on the task outside, right? And yeah, sometimes that other awareness can also be self-awareness, but usually it's just busyness and not really other awareness. Um, so um, listening to the sound of the bell or choosing a time of day to sit and have a cup of tea or do some yoga and stretching or go for a walk or meet with our dear friends, listen and talk with them. All kinds of things like that can be moments of practice 
Brushing your teeth can be a moment of practice. Going to the bathroom, taking a shower, getting dressed, putting, putting on your shoes, greeting your dog. All of these things can be moments of practice. Practice not of turning outward to the world, but turning in to ourselves and here discovering the right relationship with the world. Uh, I'd like to do a small exercise in this with you right now. Um, I think it's a good exercise for this sort of a moment where we are actually not in the same space. It also works then, but I'd, I'd like us to discover the body of our mind. Mm. Our minds also have a body, just like our body has a body. Our, our mind uh, has a, a shape and a space that it inhabits. And unlike our body, um, the, the body of our mind, unlike the body of our body, the body of our mind changes very quickly. Uh, it's not bound by the same physical properties as the body of our body. Uh, but it moves through time and space freely. And, uh, and so it's really important that we understand the body of our mind, that we have an experience of the body of our mind so that we can actually inhabit that and direct it in a, in a wholesome way. So I would like to invite you to take your eyes off of the screen. And uh, if, they are not, uh, if they are not on it, that's fine. And, and to look at the room that you are in. And looking around the room that you're in, feel the space, the distance between you and the things at the edges of the room. Uh, say a painting on the wall, or the panes of the window glass, yeah? or the coat hook, or, or just the, the paint and the color on the wall, or the molding uh, around the door, and so on and so on. Become aware of those things that are there and become aware of the space between you and those objects. And now pick one of those objects. I'm picking a painting that's a small painting that's on the wall diagonally across the room from me. And I'm going to become very mindful of that painting and of the space between me and that painting. And I'm going to fill that space between me and that painting with my awareness so that it's, I'm here with that painting. And I'm going to take a few breaths, becoming aware of myself, present with the painting. And the shape of my mind is here now, from my body across the room to the body of the painting. Now, with a single breath, I want you to draw that awareness to your own body. Draw the body of your mind to your own body. Release the painting. You might even close your eyes or look down at your own body and draw your awareness. Feel the space of your own body. Inhabit your body completely. Become aware of the edges of your body and don't let your mind go outside of that space. Stay there. Breathing in and out, filling your body with that awareness and feeling it.
Now, very consciously, stay there, stay there, stay in the body, wait till the instructions are there. We're going to make a shift again back to the object that we were looking at, in my case, the painting. Uh, and I'm, I'm going to take a breath or two, and I'm going to move the body of my mind now to encompass that painting too. Go ahead. Open up and experience the space you're in. There's the object you're looking at. And shape your awareness from you to that object and hold it. Don't let yourself be distracted by other objects. Call your awareness. Concentrate between you and, the, in this case for me, the painting. And now bring it back again to your own body. Shape your mind. Let your mind inhabit your body. Mm. You see how different that is? Now imagine if you had another person sitting in front of you and you were going to be talking with them, right? Even imagine that Let's, let's say this is in the quiet of your, your house, right? And you have a person sitting a few feet away and you want to, to communicate with them. So you take this experience of presence established in your own space, in and around your body and your feelings there and your thoughts that are arising inside of you, and you open it just wide enough to include the other person sitting in front of you. And in that space, you can breathe and be present, and the body of your mind enfolds, embraces, wraps itself around the other. And you hold that space. Right? While they speak, you listen to them. And if something pulls you away, perhaps the phone on the counter across the way rings, and your attention is dragged out, but you want to let go of that. You let go of that. The body of your mind suddenly shifted to the phone, and you release that and bring it back to wrap itself around the person you want to listen to. And if they're sharing something really difficult and you don't, you don't feel you have the capacity to hear it, you can draw your energy back. Not defensively, but just simply aware. I don't have the ability to listen to this right now. I don't have the space inside myself. My capacity is not strong, strong enough. And I, and I bring my energy back. And then from that place of clarity in myself, I can try to listen again, or if not, I can, I can let them know, I don't have any space to listen anymore. Can we stop now? Thanks, right? And then I'm protecting, right? I'm taking care of that space in me, my capacity. We must learn about the boundaries of the body of our mind, the shape of the body of our mind, and how to, how to move it here and there, how to really inhabit our consciousness. Imagine now you're going to listen to someone, a friend of yours, but you're sitting in a busy cafe, which may not have happened for many months. <laughs> Maybe last February was the last time, like a year ago, right? And you're sitting in a busy cafe and you want to listen to that person. There's all sorts of visual stimulus, people moving here and there. There's music playing. There's people chatting and talking. There's all kinds of noises from the, the different drinks being prepared and the, the people eating their dishes and the shuffling this and the door opening and closing and the, the air moving and the scent of this and the cool of that. And right, 
all of that is happening and you're going to sit <laughs> and listen <laughs> to this person in that environment, right? And if you really want to be present with them, you have to know the shape of your mind. Otherwise, you'll be soaking in all this stuff and whatever they present to you will be mixed and mingled inside of you with everything else that's coming in. Uh, so we, it's very important that we, we learn to uh, keep our, our, um, our awareness in the space that we want it to be. And as we do that, as we learn about the, the edges, the, the boundaries of our awareness, as we learn about that, we become more and more adept at being fully present in various situations in our life. But firstly, right, before we could ever be present with the other, we have to know how to be present with ourselves. We have to know our own mind and its body. We have to know our own body and how it feels and what's going on there. We have to establish mindfulness within ourselves. Thus, the Buddha taught, when you want to establish mindfulness, do it in this way. Become aware of your body in all the different ways that you could possibly be aware of your body, its movements, its processes, what feeds it, what doesn't, how you can breathe in it, take care of it, everything about your body, how it was a little baby once and grew to an adult and then is going to wrinkle and crack and grow old and fade away, right? All of that, you, you become deeply aware of the body, its processes, its shape, its movements, its health, its well-being or not, but you establish mindfulness of the body. And then he said also, establish mindfulness of sensations, of feelings, feelings that arise from the body, many of them, right? When I reach down and I put my hands on my knees, a feeling happens. There's contact between my hand and my knee. And I can feel that. That's a contact with the body. It's, it's a feeling that arises from the body. When I have an upset stomach, right? And it doesn't feel good inside, that's a feeling coming from the body. Become aware of those sensations that arise because they're in the body, but also become aware of sensations that come from other places. <laughs> uh, when we think about something distressing, a loved one who is having a hard time, right? Or an imminent deadline or challenge that awaits us in a few moments, right? <laughs> something like that can create a feeling in us, a feeling of suffering, a feeling of anxiety, right? An unpleasant feeling. And so we are taught in Buddhism to become aware of our body, but also of sensations and feelings. And this is like a gauge for whether something is bringing us health and well-being or whether it's taking away our health and well-being. So sensations and feelings are, are like a, a dial, right? A, a little gauge that's telling us, this is giving you lots of energy. <laughs> this is taking away lots of energy, right? This is kind of somewhere in between, feels balanced, feels like not much, right? So feelings and sensations 
whether they arise from the body or the mind, they give us this sense of uh, pleasure and nourishment or uh, pain and, and uh, a lack of nourishment. And the Buddha also invited us with the body and the feelings to also become aware of the mind and the activity of our mind. That is our thinking and its quality. And there are two different parts to this, really. Um, one is just simply being aware, and then the other is learning to shape our thoughts. And so part of what I was just telling you is about the, the combination of the two. <laughs> to become aware of the body of the mind and then to move it where you want is a kind of uh, deep awareness of the mind where you are both just simply being aware of what's happening, but you're also going to influence it and turn it in a direction that will bring you um, more well-being. Mm. To turn it in a wholesome direction, a nourishing di direction. Uh, so we have those different layers, our body, our feelings, sensation, and the and mind, its activity. And as we are spending more time in that awareness of our mind, we get to see, hey, we're having this particular thought over and over again, and it keeps making us feel like this, right? Feel bad or feel good, right? So you, you begin to learn about the different patterns and tendencies you have in your mind and whether they nourish you or not. So this is like dropping in from the body, sensation, deeper into the recesses of our being where inspirations and thoughts arise and understanding these things, these layers of ourselves. And when we're all the way there, when we're really inhabiting our body, our feelings and our mind, when we are fully present, something wonderful happens, which is that life becomes available to us. Life as in our own, but every life around us as well. We also, from that place of full integration in ourselves, suddenly find that we are a part of the world and we know deeply the experiences of others, right? We, we, can, we can fully treasure the food that we're eating, the carrot and its body as we chew it. If we're really there for it, all of its life energy, all of its life experience can be a part of what we know in that moment, what becomes us, right? When we listen to the other person and we're fully present, all that they're experiencing is available to us. It becomes a part of our experience. If I'm not all there, I don't get it all. But if I am all there, I can receive it all. Right? The unity of self-awareness and other awareness. Yeah. It's not just, I'm going to show up because I'm supposed to. I'm going to take part in this because it's a good thing and it's it's good to do. You do it fully present, body, heart, mind, all there, participating completely in the action, in the interaction with the world. So yesterday I was introducing to you um, this image of the pond and the trickle of practice which can fill the pond and the way that the beavers can shape the, uh, 
the container a little bit and, and help to keep it strong or capable of, of, of holding the water. Corey sent me a link uh, to an article from a Canadian newsfeed that where uh, some beavers uh, caused a lot of problems by eating into some uh, communications cables that were under, underneath their, their dam and tearing them apart and building their dam out of the communications cables. It was rather interesting to see that the beavers don't necessarily uh, well, yeah, it could be a mixed experience, right? Uh, so uh, some of the words that arise from that for me are, um, how can I practice to nourish my capacity, right? And then the other expression is, how can I practice to protect my capacity? So the nourishing of my capacity is, is kind of like the, the trickles of practice of, of, of water, the little rivulets of water that can fill that container, right? That reservoir of practice energy, my understanding, my compassion. So that's to, how do I nourish that? But then how do I protect the space also? Um, so nourishing and protecting. Lately, I've been doing something which is I haven't done for a while and I realized I really needed to get back to it which is I needed, I needed to practice making joy happen. It's, it's really interesting. I think that a lot of us get complacent in this and we just kind of go along and we, 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 let, we let the world do what it's gonna do. And if it brings us joy, it brings us joy. And if it doesn't, it doesn't. But there's so much power in our hands as practitioners to help shape the experiences we're having because we know that we have a seed a possibility of joy inside of us somewhere. And so we can reach inside and take that seed up and say, I want to nourish you, right? And, and actually make some joy happen in our world. Uh, it's not forcing it, but it's, it's, it's creating the conditions so that joy can happen. Joy is there, right? <laughs> it's in you. Um, you know it is. And you just forget about it and you get all heavy and worn out and tired and right and it's in those moments where it seems even hardest to think about how could i possibly water a seed of joy in me i'm completely wasted right <laughs> that's when you need to do it the most and uh it involves a certain amount of letting go of the idea of what you are like in that moment i believe that i'm all tired out overwhelmed and wasted and there's no space in my life for joy at least not today, right? Maybe we'll get to it this weekend, but not now, right? That's an idea, right? It's not a reality. It's just an idea we build about ourselves, about how stressed out we are and how many things we have to do and how things aren't going right. The reality is a seed of a joy lives inside of you. It's there. You're just not paying any attention to it, right? <laughs> so I decided I needed to do more of that. And so I've been practicing lightness, especially with my children, because they suffered a lot this last year. I've been practicing lightness. I've been practicing fun. I've been practicing being silly. And I like it. I like it a lot. Uh, and again, it requires this letting go. Let go of what you think you are in this moment and allow yourself some fun, some silliness, some lightness. And let the seed of fun and silliness and lightness blossom a little bit inside. Uh, if you have a hard time finding it, 
go ask some friends to help you find it because it's really important. Uh, there's something about this which is interesting also in how our bodies and brains work, which is that we can translate an experience we're having. It's, it's relatively simple to translate an experience we're having from or transfer it from short-term to long-term memory. And the way you do it is just spend a little time with it. And, and it imprints itself upon you as something important. So when I go outside and I, I see the buds blossoming on the, 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 the apple tree, I go, oh, spring is here. How wonderful. And then I turn away right away and go back to the whatever busyness I was in. That experience was nourishing for those five or six seconds that I was looking at the tree. And that's just short-term, short-term brain functioning. And then it's gone. Brain doesn't categorize that as important because I didn't spend that time with it. Just so let it go. And I moved back to what was more important, which was my stress, <laughs> right? So the difference is when you see that, the apple blossoms and you go, that's beautiful. And you want to be nourished by that. You want to feel the joy of life happening in the spring. Stop and take three, four, or five breaths. I call this my 30-second rule. This is not like the three-second, five-second, or 10-second rule when you drop the food on the floor. This is the 30-second rule, which means you're giving yourself enough time to be nourished by the experience you're having so that it's transferred from short-term experience to long-term, printed upon your being. And now your store consciousness, the subconscious part of you says, that's an important thing, I have to remember it, right? I have to remember that nourishment from gazing at an apple blossom in the spring is important and it sends it down, right? And you'll feel the shift in your body somewhere around 20 seconds. I say 30 just to make sure you get there, but actually you only need about 20. Uh, but that's what I call my 30 second rule for joy. I take those breaths and I stay with the blossom. I examine the way the light fills the petals in different ways. I might even go up and try to smell them, right? But I, I stay with that experience to allow it to be printed upon me as something uh, substantial, something I, I am meant to pay attention to, something I want to grow and cultivate in myself. Mm. There are so many parts of us that are trained to work with suffering and dangers and threats, deep, deep patterns, survival instincts that are right to the core of who we are as a, as a living being, right? Whenever we feel our, our sense of self or our, or our identity threatened, or the sense of self in terms of our people, our clan, our race, our, right? We, whenever something that is us is threatened in any way, we know that experience of like contraction of defensiveness of like prepare for the worst, right? That energy. Uh, we have such a strong, core energy for that and such a small 
right? Because it's, in terms of survival, it doesn't seem so important to water seeds of joy. You don't necessarily have to have joy to survive, right? <laughs> Not for long, at least. Um, like it, it's, it, you, you, you don't have that same uh, track of, uh, of uh, how important this thing is built inside of you. And so each one of us needs to strengthen that. Otherwise, we will only pay attention to the suffering. And uh, we can look at each other's faces. It doesn't take a lot. Look at each other's faces and you can see. You can see the suffering. You can see I'm focused on suffering. <laughs> you can see that in someone's face. I've been looking at a lot of suffering. I feel heavy with suffering. Most of us have that. Most of us. So learning to let the joy of life in is hugely important. Otherwise, we're just going to sink. We're going to be less and less capable of really nourishing each other, understanding each other, because we can't even nourish and understand ourselves. We just get burdened and burdened and burdened and burdened. The story of your joy and your happiness, that's the future you want. So spend time with it. Nourish it and help it to grow. Mm. Because of all the stressors that many of us have been holding lately, um, it's also really important to think about this in terms of ease, right? Ease. How can I bring more ease? into the experience I have right now, today. Uh, don't wait for next week. How can you be more easy in what you are tasked with accomplishing today? Right? Maybe this retreat is in, is in itself that effort right, to bring more space and ease. That's wonderful, so please let it be that way. <laughs> really take your time and move gently through your day. To establish ease is, is huge. I've been really enjoying deep relaxation. You know, the practice where you take time to be present with yourself. Oh, <laughs> that's really tough. Um, parts of it are. Parts of being with yourself are tough. But this practice is relaxation. It's specifically about release, release, release. Let go, let go, let go of tension and stress and worry in the body. You scan your body, whether you do it in great detail, like this is the hair on my head, this is the scalp, this is the skin, this is the bones, this is the, the brain, and you go through every little piece of your of your body and you and you become aware of it and you release. Tell yourself, invite yourself to release tension, to find that ease and that relaxation. And you go from top to bottom or bottom to top, right? Or both like that, right? It might take you half an hour or 45 minutes to do it really fully that way. Or maybe you don't have half an hour. Maybe you've only got five minutes. Maybe you don't know how long you have, but you just need, no, you need to do something, right? So start and see where you get to. When I only have a few minutes, I don't do every little part of my body. I go through actually, um, my eyes, my ears, my nose, my tongue, 
And then I send the signal out to my hands and feet through the core of my body. That's a wonderful way to do it. Or I take my head and my whole head and face as an object. And I do just breathe into my head and face and relax all the attention and energy there. I visualize myself filling up with light and warmth. And the comfort of that can release the tension and stress. Filling with the in-breath, releasing with the out-breath. And I do it with the trunk of my body, from my shoulders and chest and back and heart and lungs and belly and everything. I take the whole space and do that for a couple of minutes. And then I open my shoulders and arms. I open my hips and legs and I go down. So really it's only like three or four sections of my body. And that can be five minutes, right? Get a tremendous benefit from release and relaxing. Not sure if we have deep relaxation scheduled into the retreat or whether that's something we'll need to do on our own. But please, if you have a few minutes today, practice deep relaxation. If you have a few minutes right before you go to bed, release the stress of the day before you turn yourself in for sleep. It makes your sleep so much better. Right? When you wake up, the same. Come into the body, release any tension or stress that's there. Maybe you had an unpleasant dream or your body was just uncomfortable, right? And you need to wake up and refresh. So do it with deep relaxation. Start the day with ease. Mm. Another easeful, easeful practice that I love so much is to go for walks walks in the forest or walks along streams and rivers. Those are my two places. I love to walk in the forest and look at the trees and then find one to stand by. And I get up next to the tree and I breathe in and out. And just like we were practicing with the body of the mind, I bring my, my, my awareness into my own body and just to the trunk of the tree. And I rest right there. And I let the way that the tree lives help inform how I would like to live. And a tree lives. A tree has this incredible living energy. You know, they're drawing their sap up and through the, the bark and, and their veins, really, right along the trunk of the tree, out to the branches. They... They produce needles and leaves that, that, that are open to the, the elements and the sun, taking in the energy of the, of the cosmos, nourishing their body and sending it down into the roots and the soil. And there's this seasonal flow of, of uh, blossoming, of flourishing, and of letting go and sleeping that a tree goes through. The tree is a living being, just like us, partaking in the life of the cosmos but they do not have something that we have. And it's really wonderful. They don't have this discursive mind, which gets caught in ups and downs and rights and wrongs and is all this mental agitation. Trees don't have that. They don't live in that space. <laughs> uh, and, and so when you go to the tree, the tree isn't sitting there going, oh, you stupid little human, 
all this harm you're causing to me and my kind, you know, the tree isn't caught in that kind of mental agitation. The tree is just living, right? And, and it's, it's life forces are flowing. So I go to the trees so that I can get some guidance from them on how not to be stuck in my suffering agitated mind. <laughs> I go to them to help me relax and to find my ease and to connect with the rhythm and the pace of nature, which believe it or not, is my rhythm and pace. <laughs> it's natural. Why do we call it natural, right? The turning of the seasons, why is that natural? The way the trees and the plants grow, why is that natural? It's natural because it's our nature too, right? So we go, we go to the forest and we take in the energy of the forest and let it help us to soothe, release, and let go of the mental agitation the discursive, judgmental, discriminating, discriminating mind that we have. The tree can show us. If you find a really old tree, it's kind of cool because the tree's perspective, an old tree's perspective is it's really solid. <laughs> it's not a mental perspective, that's what I'm saying. It's a different perspective on life. And when you get in tune with that, it's really healing. Flowing water does this for me too. Sitting by a creek or a river and watching and listening, watching the shapes of the water and this continuous flow. Never, never the same one moment to the next, never the same water in my gaze at once. You have to soften your eyes. You can't focus on it the way you normally focus on things. You have to go peripheral. <laughs> you have to open your heart and your mind to let the flow of the water happen. Otherwise you'll, you'll hurt. You're trying to figure something out about the river. No, it's nothing to figure out. It just flows. Figuring out is to make something stop, but a river flows. And so you go there and your mind softens and opens and stops trying to go somewhere, stops trying to figure it out, to solve the problem, to make something go away, to make something better. And instead just settle into what is really there the flow of that river, the flow of your life. I watch that, I hear it in the way that the, the sounds that the water makes as it flows. I spent many hours in my life doing this, so now it's become a habit energy for me to go to the trees and to go to the flowing water. It nourishes me deeply. You may have other places in the natural world, right, where you are able to be more your true nature, um, please take refuge in them. They, these, these beings, they are our Sangha also. One last thing about establishing mindfulness and ease, nourishing ourselves, is uh, how regularity, continuity is so important. And this is uh, corroborated in modern neuroscience as well. But the brain and the health of our body and the way it functions, the way the brain functions and the way our body functions, benefit tremendously from rhythms, from regularity, from, from the continuity right, of, of, of regular practice. So 
when you're able to say, for example, go for that walk to visit a tree or the creek, as I might, or stop for a cup of tea, if you can do this regularly and somewhat at the same time, perhaps each day, right? Your whole system will regulate, will become steady and calm and even, and you will have a reference point for your uh, experience of yourself and your deeper awareness. If you say, for example, you sat for half an hour every morning out on your porch uh, this, this spring and you enjoyed the plants beginning to grow and something like that, right? So before you went into the activity of the day, but you did that for a month straight, almost every day, five or six days a week. Maybe, maybe you got one or two weeks where it was seven days a week, but almost every day you were able to do that, right? The pattern that that sets up for the way your brain and your body function is something really wonderful, right? And how it, how it then gives you a certain plateau of uh, energy, but also a plateau of awareness. Now imagine after doing it, say, for 37 days, roughly, in a row, you suddenly skip three or four days. You will know where you're at. Each day you've missed it because you have gotten used to what it is to have the practice there, to have your ease there, to have your awareness deep and true. You'll know that level. And then when it shifts, oh, it shifts. But if you don't have that continuity, that regularity in your practice, you don't actually know where you are. You think you've got a little, that's okay. You've got a lot, that's okay. But you don't actually know where you are because it's constantly going somewhere else. Every day is a little different. But if you have the continuity and the regularity in the practice, then you can see, ah, I've dropped in my energy. Or, oh, I think, I'm, I, think I have increased my energy through this practice. You'll see it. So it's very important that we have that, that rhythm and established and that we stick to it for long periods of time, maybe years and years. Uh, you can adapt the practices you do, change them, but keep them regular. I'd like to invite you to, um, oh, here, I'll invite the sound of my bell here and please listen to the sound and then take a minute just to stretch your body in any which way you might need. Uh, a good moment to visit their bathroom if you need to. Um, And I'll continue with the talk in, in just a minute. So please uh, stretch and refresh yourself any way you need to.
So as people uh, begin to settle back in, I'm going to uh, sing a chant. Uh. Sitting here in this moment, Protected by the Sangha, my happiness is clear and alive. Ah, what a great fortune to have been born a human, to encounter the Dharma to be in harmony with others and to water the mind of love in this beautiful garden of practice the energies of the sangha and the mindfulness trainings are protecting and helping me not make mistakes or to be swept along in darkness by unwholesome seeds with kind spiritual friends. I am on the path of goodness, illumined by the light of Buddhas and Bodhisattvas. Although the seeds of suffering are still in me in the form of afflictions and habit energies mindfulness is also there helping me to touch what is most wonderful within and around me i can still enjoy Mindfulness of the six senses. My eyes look peacefully upon a clear blue sky. My ears listen with wonder to the songs of birds. My nose smells the rich scent of sandalwood. My tongue tastes the nectar of the Dharma. My posture is upright, stable, and relaxed. My mind is one with my body. 
If there were not a world honored one, if there were not a wonderful Dharma, if there were not a harmonious Sangha, I would not be so fortunate to enjoy this Dharma happiness today. Dear friends, our lives are so precious. <laughs> Life is sacred. It's something wonderful. Uh, I know that we get lost. We all know we get lost. We get tired out. We forget. But it is also deep inside we can, we can recognize that Life is something sacred and wonderful. That our happiness is precious. And it's worth practicing to nourish it. It's worth practicing, taking time and energy to practice it. It's worth protecting. As I was saying at the beginning of this talk, uh, in every moment of our life, we're doing things, right? We're either by ourselves or interacting with beings around our home or at work or out in town, or we're doing things. We're, we're a part of the world. And every one of our interactions is feeding us in some way. Some of those interactions are feeding us in wholesome ways, and some of them are feeding us in unwholesome ways. Uh, it's, a, it's a similar way of saying we are what we eat. You are quite literally what you eat in terms of, you know, the, the food that you ate. Uh, you are the lettuce. The lettuce is continuing in you, right? You are the rice, you are the hamburger, you're the whatever you're eating, it's you. You are that, you are those vegetables, you are those animals, you are their continuation. And everything that they experience in their life has become a part of you. So they experienced wonderful things, those have become a part of you. If they experienced growing and nourishing and collecting the energy of the cosmos into their bodies, that's a part of you now, right? If they experienced a horrible and terrifying death, then that's a part of you, right? We can't escape that, right? We, we take it in, we become it. It's quite obvious to see this, especially through foods, uh, physical foods, edible foods. Mm. We take in the, the preciousness, the sacredness of life through what we eat with our mouths. But we also take it in through our eyes and ears, through our, our nose, our tongue, right? We, we take in impressions 
images and sounds and the meaning that they give us, the meaning that it imparts to us. And we also take in the rumination of our own mind. So it's not just that we're fed by the world around us, we're fed by the way that we think about the world around us or the way we think about ourselves. You know how horrible it feels when you have strong self-judgment? When you think that you've come up short and you failed, right? That's your own mind feeding you suffering. <laughs> so someone else can tell you how horrible you are and that's someone else feeding you suffering. <laughs> but you can also tell yourself how horrible you are and you're feeding yourself suffering. So every moment we're active, we're doing things. We're in relationship with ourselves and our own consciousness in our minds. But we're in relationship with the world. And there's this in and this out happening all the time. So we need to learn to protect the preciousness of our life, to protect our ability to be mindful, to be able to understand, to be able to love, to protect our happiness. I'm going to read to you some of the words uh, that I selected out of the Avatamsaka Sutra, the Flower Ornament Sutra, in the, the teachings offered by the Bodhisattva uh, Forest of Virtues. This is from the descriptions of the, the, the ten treasuries, the ten inexhaustible treasuries. Uh, and I, I listed those for you last night. Uh, they are faith, ethics, shame, conscience, learning, giving, wisdom, recollection, preservation, and elocution. So uh, here I'm just going to read a little bit from the first few. Um, actually, I'm going to skip the faith part. But one of the things that the faith teachings say is, because you have faith, real, true confidence in your path of practice, you don't have fear anymore. You don't have to be lost in worry and fear because you have a path, right? That kind of expression is repeated over and over in Buddhist chants and teachings. Like, now that I have a path of practice, I have nothing more to fear. Right. You, you have confidence and faith in the teachings and in your ability to put them into practice. And so you don't have to worry. You, you, you know you will always have a direction. You won't have to be lost in despair ever. That's a wonderful thing. In a very simplistic form, that's like the, uh, the faith statements of uh, popular religion. If I will take, uh, uh, if if I if I believe in Jesus, then I I when I die I will be reborn in heaven. Right. If I put my faith in that, if I if I have this, uh, then I'm saved from despair. I don't ever have to sink into despair and be lost. Right. Because of that. It's a, it's a surface teaching, that kind of teaching. It's just for the surface. It just gets you, gives you a hook. It's like, okay, here's a, here's a lifeline thrown to you in the midst of all of your suffering. You, if you have confidence and faith in this one thing, 
you you'll be you'll 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 be okay in the end, right? And it, it allows someone not to sink into despair. And that's the skillful means inside that teaching. Pure Land Buddhism has the same. Pure Land Buddhism is uh, recite the name of Amitabha Buddha, the Buddha of infinite life. Recite it all day long in all your activities, and you will be reborn in a pure land when the, the pure land when you die. Right? It's the same thing, same exact thing. Um, <laughs> and most religions have some form of that. It's just that here's the lifeline. Don't despair. You can look somewhere for guidance. And then you have to go deeper. Right? Once you've been sort of saved from your despair, from the possibility of failing completely and despair, you, you, you now have the cultivation stage, the practice that you do. And that's where these next levels come. So once you, uh, once you establish faith in your path of practice, then you go to the cultivation. The faith and the cultivation in Buddhism, though, are not two separate things. So it's not a statement of belief. Like, I believe I will be reborn somewhere uh, in heaven somewhere. The faith that you develop in Buddhism is part of the practice. As you practice, you experience the effects of the practice, and you can have confidence that your practice brings you in a good direction. That makes sense? It's different from, from a belief that somewhere out there in the future, I will get my happiness. It's now the way that I breathe in this moment shows me happiness. Ah, so now I have faith that I can do this, right? That's the kind of faith that we, we cultivate. Mm. Once they have attained this faith, their minds do not regrets. Their minds do not become confused. They cannot be broken down. They have no attachments. They always have a fundamental basis. They can follow the sages and dwell in the house of the enlightened. They can maintain the lineage of awakening. They can increase the faith and resolution of other bodhisattvas and other beings. They can conform to the virtue of the path of awakening and set forth the awakening practice, the awakening techniques uh, of all the Buddhas. This is called the treasury of faith. And then we go into ethics, the precepts, the mindfulness trainings. The Bodhisattva accepts and upholds pure ethics, pure mindfulness trainings, just mindfulness trainings. You practice the mindfulness trainings fundamentally for the sake of benefiting all living beings. Right? This is the first thing it says about the practice of the mindfulness trainings. It's not about me, <laughs> it's about all of us. And that's really important, really important. You make the choices about the way you live, your lifestyle, the way you consume, how you go about doing things in the world based on the well-being, the benefit of all beings, not just yourself. And there is the ethic of non-dwelling. When the bodhisattva accepts and keeps the, the precepts, the mindfulness trainings, their minds do not dwell in the realm of desire. They don't dwell in the realm of forms. 
They don't dwell in the formless realm. Those are the three realms. Why? Because they don't keep mindfulness trainings in hopes of being born in any of those realms. Right? You're not trying to get somewhere with your mindfulness trainings. You're not trying to get more desire, more craving. You're not trying to get more established in your body. You're not trying to attain some state. You practice the training for the benefit of all being, not for those reasons. And then there is the ethic of no regret or resentment. The Bodhisattva always abides peacefully in a state of mind free from regret and resentment. Why? Because they don't commit serious wrongdoings. <laughs> they don't practice flattery or deception. They don't break the mindfulness trainings. And then they have the ethic of non-contention too. There's lots of ethics in here. They do not afflict other beings as they keep their own mindfulness trainings. They keep the mindfulness trainings with the sole desire that all beings will be joyful. So you don't uh, get contend with others for whose path is right, whose path is better. Right? You just do it for the benefit. Hmm. The Bodhisattva does not harm sentient beings on account of their mindfulness trainings. They keep the mindfulness trainings for the purpose of saving and protecting all living beings. The Bodhisattvas do not cling to extremes or biased views. They do not, they do not keep impure precepts. They contemplate interdependent origination and they keep Mindfulness trainings based on true freedom. They do not display extraordinary signs to make a show of their virtue. They only keep the precepts for the purpose of fulfilling the way of freedom. They do not boast of themselves as upholding the mindfulness trainings, especially when they see those who break them and they do not scorn or shame those who do not keep the mindfulness trainings. They only make their minds single, one-pointed, and keep the mindfulness trainings. I liked reading that chapter uh, about the mindfulness trainings because it brings up a number of the intentions that we might carry while we practice them. Our set of mindfulness trainings in the Plum Village tradition is really comprehensive and detailed, and it gives you lots of uh, a really uh, comprehensive framework for how you can enter into your life. We'll see that tomorrow on display in the ordination ceremony uh, for the 14 mindfulness trainings, and how, how, how wonderfully they, they encompass so many areas of our life and give us guidance. Um, but in the, what I just read to you, it, it talks a lot about how you hold that, why you would hold that, your intentions uh, for, for being on that path. Um, because living beings are precious, life is precious, our happiness is precious, precious our well-being is precious. That is why we do this. Mm.
So I made a couple of little sketches here I want to show you and talk to you about a practice um, called the Sentinels of Mindfulness. And the Sentinels of Mindfulness is about being aware of what's coming in and going out of you. So, um, so I can do this here. Put the sides so I can see what I'm showing you. This is a picture of the eight consciousnesses in Buddhist psychology. Is that coming out forwards for you guys or backwards? It's okay. Okay, good. I just didn't know like how that worked. Um, but you see, rounding the top of this, eyes, ears, nose, tongue, and body. Right? Those are the five sense organs that we're most accustomed to. And in Buddhism, we call the mind our sixth sense. Eyes, ears, nose, tongue, body, and mind. And in the Heart Sutra, you hear these things talked about as the 18 realms of elements, where you have eyes, ears, nose, tongue, body, and mind, and you have what they, the, what they see or what they hear. So you have form, sound, smell, taste, touch, and objects of the mind. And then that's 12. And then the last six are the consciousness of seeing, the consciousness of hearing, the consciousness of knowing. So when the eyes are in contact with forms and colors, they see. There's three parts, the subject, the object, and the consciousness. The eye is the subject, the object is the form and color, the consciousness is the activity that happens because of the, two, the contact between eyes and form and color. Mm. So all day long, <laughs> the eyes, ears, nose, tongue, and body are bringing in the world to our mind. Right here. See that? Right into the mind. And all day long, all of store consciousness, alaya consciousness, which is all our subconscious, it's all our conditioning, our habits, it's everything that the whole world could possibly be is all down there. That in the form of memory and conditions and habit energies, rises up into the mind. When I see your face, and I have seen you before, your, the image of your face comes into my mind, and the memory of your face rises up from store. And here I have the opportunity to, to notice, oh, you've changed since last I saw you. Because the memory that arose from the past, right, came up, and I have the comparison between how you looked then to how you look now. You see the interaction there between habit, conditioning, and stored, right? Stored information and real information. It's very important to understand that. The same with what you hear. The sound of my voice. Yeah? Maybe you have heard me uh, in the past. And so the sound of my voice coming in through your ears triggers memories of me here, and whoop, those memories come up into your mind. And if you had really unpleasant experiences with me, then hearing the sound of my voice, even if I speak really nicely to you <laughs> now, because of the past unpleasant experiences, you might still think I'm a jerk, even if I said something really nice. So there's a play between 
the conditioning and the memories and the habit energies rising into the mind and the input from life as it actually is coming into the mind. And so the mind becomes this, the heart in a way of all of the work that we do because we want to be able to let life as it actually is be our guide, be our source of energy. We don't just want to spin around stories from the past. We actually want to be alive. So we have to take a lot of time to cultivate clarity and spaciousness in our mind so that we can see when a habit energy comes up and we can also see when new and beautiful or maybe challenging information comes in from the outside. Next picture. So I would have drawn this like as we were going along, but it's a tree. Does it make sense? Can you see it there? Oh, that's a little better. So for me, I like to visualize that there's a tree of my practice here. And I need to let the nourishment from the sun and the wind and the rain, that's the eyes, ears, nose, tongue, and body, from real life, from the cosmos and the world around me, I need to let that nourishment into the tree. But I also need to find nourishment from the store of past experiences of what I have learned and what my ancestors have learned, what my teachers have learned. And together, if I'm skillful, if I'm skillful, this tree can be very healthy. It can be a very beautiful tree. It can flourish, right? And my life experiences happening in the present moment will have a chance to feed the experiences of my past and my ancestors through my, my growing this tree of practice, right? And my ancestors, if I do a good job, will have a chance to feed, but also to, tr- to support me in my daily life, but also to transform themselves where they perhaps were a little too composty, a little too smelly, right? And so now they get a chance to be reworked into new life and I get to reshape them through the way that I live, if I'm able to do it well. So your tree might be totally emaciated, like a thin, struggling skeleton of life, or it might be really alive and robust. Depends on the practice inside us. The sentinels of mindfulness means we're going to place our mindfulness like a guard, like a sentinel, at each of the doors of eyes, of ears, of nose, of tongue, of sensations in the body. We're going to put a sentinel of mindfulness in each of those places so that we can be aware of what's coming in and notice if it's nourishing us. If it's not nourishing our ability to be mindful, our ability to develop real understanding, to listen deeply, to speak beautifully to one another, if instead it's touching seeds of suffering and anger and frustration and fear in us, right? We'll notice that if the sentinel of mindfulness is there at our eyes. So you can do that with your mind, just like we did the body of the mind, right? You can bring the body of the body of the mind up into the body of your eyes. Bring it there. And then really notice, I am seeing right now. I'm seeing things around me, images around me, colors and shapes and forms. 
that impression is coming in. And you can see how it's nourishing you. The sounds that you hear similarly bring the sentinel of mindfulness to your ears. Let it stand on that threshold and, and observe, be mindful of what's coming in. Be mindful also of what's going out. When you speak and you make sound into the world, be mindful of that the sentinel of mindfulness notice what the impact of your words are, right? When you present yourself to the world, just as others present themselves to your eyes, yeah? When you present yourself to the world, notice the impact you have. Notice the impact your words have. Notice the impact that all the different layers of your being has on the world, and notice how the world impacts you. That is to play to practice the six sentinels, although I only talked about five. The sixth sentinel is the sentinel in the mind, and this is the hardest one, because it's very difficult to be aware of our own mind. Here's the last drawing. It's just expressing again the, the same sort of thing, only I gave uh, more words to it in the drawing. So on the top you say present moment experience. So this is the present moment of life, is streaming in to nourish the tree. And in the bottom you see habits and conditioning and memory, all feeding the tree also. And here it says ancestral transmission. <laughs> That's an important one to remember. There's a lot of the habit energy that we have isn't actually our own. It's a collective, it's something that was transmitted to us. And so it rises up into the space of mind consciousness. Um, and so the work of being here with the sentinel of mindfulness, being the tree, um, there's another layer of consciousness I didn't name because I didn't just didn't want to get too close to you, but it's called manas consciousness. I didn't want to get too complicated, but that's the sense of me. It's a sense of self. And, and the mind is really the heart of our identity. Um, Let's, let's, let's put the sentinel of mindfulness inside. And the sentinel of mindfulness, if it's in my mind, if I'm able to be there, I'll notice some of the ha habits and patterns that are streaming up from store consciousness and shaping the way that I think. So at first I might be thinking like, I've got all these things I'm trying to do in my daily life, and it's so hard to do them all, right? That might be what I'm thinking, right? And so my mind is thinking about that, and it's kind of feeling like the world is like too much for me. It's like too much going on there. And, and so I might be frustrated or angry with how so many people in the world are doing so many stupid things, and then it makes me suffer, right? <laughs> <laughs> so this might be my mind, 
Why do people keep doing this? Oh. So my, my now 10-year-old daughter, when she was nine last year, and we were telling her about George Floyd, that was her response. Why are they so stupid? Why do they do that? Why do they just kill people? Right? That's, that was her response. And I totally get it. I totally understand it. I saw a bunch of you nodding too, like, oh, yeah, I could, I could get it that you get. The world is afflicting me, right? The world is afflicting all of us, right? And, and our thoughts might be turned out in that way. And we get frustrated and angry with what's going on in the world. The sentinel of mindfulness inside us will notice that that activity is happening inside of us in response to situations outside of us. It will notice that when you think that thought, you don't feel good. You suffer. The sentinel of mindfulness will also notice when you go out into the forest, just to use my previous example, and you stand with that tree or you listen to the bubbling brook, how the world is not afflicting you. <laughs> you notice, I notice, oh, he's not afflicting me. And you will notice that the kind of thoughts I'm having now actually make me feel really good when I think about the tree and I think about the water. Right? That's what the sentinel of mindfulness in our own mind does. The sentinel of mindfulness will also notice the thought, why can't I do more? What do I do? How do I make this better? I'm not good enough just like I am. This isn't good enough. I haven't done enough. And that sort of turning inward of the judgment from the judging the world towards ourselves and, and criti being critical of ourselves for coming up short, being critical of ourselves because our ancestors came up short, right? Many of you have been doing white awareness work, right? You do that work and you, you get critical of yourself for what your ancestors did, right? and you feel bad because of what your ancestors did. That's your mind has a certain story in it that it's turning inside. It's not connected to real life or the present moment. The present moment, like the sun's out, the flowers blooming, the tea kettle's warm, right? <laughs> That's the present moment. But in your mind, this affliction is happening. The sentinel of mindfulness needs to be there in order to understand where is this coming from? What's the quality of these thoughts? When I think these thoughts, they bring me in what direction? Wholesomeness, unwholesomeness, suffering, well-being. Can I learn to reshape these thoughts so that I have uh, uh, a better ground, right? In the sense, literally, remember the tree, a better ground from which my conditioning and habit can grow? Because we can do that work. The tree can, of our mind, the activity of our mind can actually reshape Alaya consciousness can bring in new and beautiful understanding and information to heal those old, old, old stories of suffering. We have a model of practice offered to us by Thich Nhat Hanh that is a trauma-sensitive mindfulness practice, meaning it can heal suffering. 
It can heal deep, deep suffering. It can heal ancestral suffering. And a man like Tai is the man you would expect to be able to do something like that, to share with us. His practice was born from trauma. It was born in the heart of a raging fire of war. real hatred, anger, ignorance, and going through that, right? So these practices we have of learning how to be present in ourselves and bring beautiful, clear, careful thoughts of kindness and patience and love to our own hearts and minds in the way that Tai has indicated for us to do, the way I'm trying to share here, this model of understanding, this is, this, this is a ground for healing, deep, deep healing. And again, like I read in the flower ornament scripture, it's not so we're going to get somewhere, so we're going to attain something. It's simply because it's, it's, it's precious. Life is precious. Let's do this. Right? We're not going to try to solve the, the, the problems of our ancestors. We're just going to do our part right now to contribute to how precious and wonderful uh, true happiness is, how, how precious uh, life on earth is. So thank you. Thank you, friends, for being a part of this Dharma talk. Um, I hope that when you have Dharma sharing today in your different groups, you're able to talk about these things, to share with one another and learn from one another about how, how you practice to be mindful, to have these sentinels of mindfulness, how you practice to protect, to be the, do the work of the beaver and protect the container, right? How you practice to feed the container, those, the snow melt and rivulets, stream, streams and rivulets feeding the, the pond. Um, share with each other about these things and how it's been going for you to do this and where you feel you might need help and uh, take refuge in the wisdom and insight of the Sangha uh, to help uh, find the next step of the, the path of practice for you. The path is here, right? We don't have to be afraid. We don't have to lose ourselves in despair. But we do have to walk it. It doesn't walk itself, right? <laughs> We've got to show up. Mm -hmm.